0: pastor asked me to let you know as a congregation that uh, last Sunday the love offering for Alan Dory Swenson was $1,200. So I'm sure that will be a huge encouragement and blessing to them and wanted you to be aware of that. In the bulletin this morning, the, uh, on the inside cover where it has the subject of this morning's message and the scripture text, it says that the uh, page number in the Pew Bible is 977, and if you get to 977, just turn a couple of more pages and you will find Philippians 2, 1 through 11 on page 980. There's a battle that rages. It's, uh, it's in the mind of Wayne. Wayne has a battle, a struggle in his mind. And sometimes I can easily veer off course. You can't see it, but it's nonetheless very real. Uh, Sometimes you can see it. Cindy probably can see it more often than anyone else because she spends more time with me. There are thoughts that I have that are evil and self-serving. There are conversations I have with individuals, none of you, okay, I want to set your minds at rest, I don't have conversations with you in my head, but I have conversations with people that need to have a word from Wayne. And so I have to ask myself, how is it possible for Wayne to have the mind of Christ? Because the mind of Wayne, it tends to wander. It tends to go down paths that it should not go. It tends to think thoughts that it should not think. Thankfully, not all the time, because God has revealed Himself to me. He has saved me. He has given me His Spirit. His Word is meaningful to me. And so, when those thoughts come, I have opportunities to deal with those thoughts. And the Scriptures tell us what we should do in our thought lives and how we can cultivate the mind of Christ. And so, this morning... I want us to think about that. I want us to think about how we cultivate the mind of Christ. So if if you would turn to Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to read that passage beginning in verse 1 through verse 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, although Paul wrote those words, those are God's words, and God says, "Let this mind be in you, in, in you Wayne, that was in Christ Jesus." Have his mind. Now, this morning we're going to talk about four aspects of that. How we can have the mind of Christ. Certainly it is his work. And he, through his Holy Spirit, makes it possible for me to have the mind of Christ. But he also gives us specific commands and instructions about how we can have the mind of Christ. So, in the next slide you're going to see four illustrations. The first one in the upper left says, uh, I am the good shepherd. And we have to have a trust relationship with the good shepherd. We have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have to know him. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. The second image on the right at the upper point, point there says, God speaks. And the question is, are you listening? Wayne, are you listening? God speaks. Are you listening? And so we're going to think about and talk briefly about what does it mean that God speaks, and how does that impact my mind? How does that cultivate a Christ-likeness in my mind? The third image below, I think Pastor would like this, uh, uh, that, that I actually listened to what he was saying and incorporated it into the slides here, a puzzle where we are part of something bigger than just the little piece. We are individually part of a church, that, and that's By design, that's God's design that we we would be part of a church. And so we are not complete in ourselves. And how does that have bearing on having the mind of Christ? And finally, as we continue around, it may not be easily seen, but there's a passage of Scripture up there with some praying hands. And we're going to talk briefly about, so what does it mean to pray according to the mind of Christ? So what is your chief struggle or battle? The Apostle Paul was a diligent disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that there was a battle that was going on between God's truth and his flesh. And this is what it it says in Romans 7, 21 to 25. And I'm, I'm going to read portions of a lot of passages of Scripture so that you know that this is not the word of Wayne. I want you to know this is God's word revealed to you. But I didn't put them on the slides and you can look them up uh, later. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Do you ever feel like that? All the time. I want to do right and then my flesh takes over. And what I know is the law of God and what I'm thinking are in contradiction. And Paul says, for I delight in the law of God, and I do, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Christ has given me a new mind, but there's still a conflict that's going on. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And if it ended there, that would be a sad, sad passage of Scripture. But it doesn't. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He provides the victory. I myself, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So the question then is, how can my mind, focused on God's Word, have the victory? How can I have the mind of Christ? In 2 Corinthians ten three through 6 Paul tells the church that it's not so much a physical war that's going on, but it's an inward battle. That's where the real battle is. And we need to take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but he says, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So that means Wayne has to be engaged here. Yes, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Yes, the Holy Spirit brings scriptures to my remembrance. Sometimes he uses you to bring scriptures to my remembrance. To challenge me, to encourage me, to rebuke me, to correct me. But ultimately I have some responsibility too. I need to see what those thoughts are and see is that thought that just went through my head is that what God would think? Is that the way God thinks? Is that what God says in his word? I need to take those captive. I need to capture them to obey Christ. In Ephesians 4:17 to 19 Paul contrasts the believers walk with the unbeliever. He says, okay, here's how the unbeliever thinks. Here's how the unbeliever's mind works. Listen to this. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, the unbelievers, the heathen. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. Their understanding is black. They can't see. They can't understand alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them so what little understanding they have is ignorant it's stupid knowledge it's lacking in knowledge due to the what hardness of their hearts these are all internal these are all things that are part of who they are inside of them apart from Christ they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity So what's the outgrowth of what's inside? Their ignorance, their callousness. It expresses itself in their behaviors. And Mike led the morning adult discipleship hour in talking about this very thing when it comes to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. We like to blame somebody else uh, for our problems and for our uh, issues. And we tend to think that the problem is really it's his fault, okay? Not his specifically, or it's her fault and not hers specifically, or it's their fault if my church was only, or if my neighbors were only, Um, but it's not me. There's a cartoon, Family Circus, and oftentimes, you know, the kids would do something, break something, and then the parent would show up, either the mother or the father, usually it was the mother, I think, and what did the kids say was the person that did it? Not me. Okay? I don't know how that happened, but it wasn't me. They may be standing right there by the broken lamp, but it's not me. Somebody else. That's from the beginning of time. That's from Genesis. So We like to blame family members and church members and the boss. If the boss was only more reasonable, if the people that I worked with were only better, all these other people are the real problem. When the reality is, the heart needs to be changed. The mind needs to become like the mind of Christ. Now, before we explore some of the solutions to the problem, let's make certain we understand the nature of the battle and or the conflict or how the battles are won or lost. What are the goals in a battle? Now, there are a lot of goals, but let's just focus on a couple of them. It's to destroy the enemy. It's to make them lose hope in their cause Make them give up to retreat or to surrender. That's the goal in a war, in a battle. And it's to take captives so that they can no longer fight effectively. It's to neutralize them. So when we go into battle, it's not, you know, it's not going to be nice handshakes and, and everything's okay kind of the way it is. It's, um, we need to stop the enemy. And we need to cause the enemy to give up. So it is with our minds. How are battles won and lost? Well, battles are won because of leadership. Leadership really matters in a battle. The, the leader pro- provides the provisions. They watch and understand the enemy. They equip and train the soldiers for battle. Do you know who our leader is? He is capable of all those things. Far better than any general or admiral that walks the face of this world. He is very capable of meeting our needs. And then it requires persistence. There's a goal, a a known goal that means that there's victory, which means that the team is working together. There may be a hero in the midst, okay? But heroes don't function well alone. Heroes need a team that's helping them make it to the the objective, to beat the enemy. And so it is with the Christian life. We're not snipers on a rooftop. We are part of an army that God has commissioned called the church, to work together. And there must be unity. Battles are won when we're fighting as a team. There must be unity and singleness of purpose. How are battles lost? Battles are lost when you're not prepared, uh, when you're surprised. Why did we lose at Pearl Harbor in 1941? Well, I can tell you. It wasn't for lack of battleships or destroyers or submarines or aircraft or control towers or military personnel or any of that. They weren't prepared. They weren't diligent. It was Sunday morning. It was peaceful. There was no cause to be vigilant. And our enemy Satan goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We must always be vigilant. And there are distractions and lies. We talked a little bit in the adult discipleship hour about the lies of Satan, causing us to doubt the goodness of God and the truthfulness of God's Word. And there are traitors and defectors Now, I'm not suggesting anyone in this congregation is a traitor or defector, but that is always a real possibility. We must go back to God's Word for all things. The battlefield is really in the mind. The struggle is in our minds. And so the way we are prone to fall into sin or or to become unproductive in our Christian lives and to give the enemy a foothold is in our minds. It's through unbelief. It's when Wayne says... This problem or this need is too big for God or he's not going to do anything with it, so Wayne has to do something with it. That's the sin of unbelief. Or lustful thoughts or anger or pride or laziness. All of those come from the heart. Theft, adultery, lying, greed, hatred, the list goes on. Selfishness, bad parenting, bad being a bad child. Okay? The list is endless of those things that are in our minds. And I mentioned earlier, even just conversations that only you can hear. Sometimes I, I rehearse what I need to say to somebody. Do you ever do that? Does anybody here not do that? Where you kind of work through what this person needs to hear, and when you're all done, you think, that wasn't very Christ-like. That's not the way to say that to that person. Yes, we, we all are prone to that. The Scriptures have much to say about the mind, and they talk about having the mind of Christ. That is what it it says in Philippians chapter 2, to have the mind of Christ. So, you want to have the mind of Christ, but you don't want to do the work? Well, that's a problem, because there is some work that you need to do. And how do we know that? Because He gives us Commands. So, if He gives us commands, that means that there are certain things that we need to do relative to our minds and according to uh, that we have to do about our actions. We need reminders of who we are and who He is, and we must know Him. So, number one, we must trust and know the Master. What are His goals? What are his ways of winning battles? What are his priorities? What are the ways that he wants us to be equipped? How was he equipped for battle? What were his goals and priorities when he was here, and what are his goals and priorities today? In order to to, um, understand that and appreciate that, I want to use an illustration from when I was a manager of a technology team. Led people that worked with computers. Now, in Wayne's world, if you want to have the mind of Wayne, okay, you want to have the mind of Wayne, that means that you're going to have problems, which means you're going to have to solve problems. So, computers break. Systems don't work. That means somebody has to fix them. And when somebody fixed it, I wasn't always completely happy. You know why? Because the mind of Wayne says... You don't just fix the problem, you document the problem. And you write down what you did to solve the problem, and the problem becomes available in the reporting system for the next time the problem happens. And why is that so important in Wayne's mind? Because the next time the problem happens, two things should happen. One, we should ask ourselves, what did we do last time? Let's do that real quick so we can solve this problem quickly. And two, we should ask ourselves, why did this happen again. And what should we be doing differently to prevent it or to keep it from happening repeatedly? And so when people came to me and said, I solved the problem, you know, if they had the mind of Wayne, they would say, and Wayne, because of your mind, now they wouldn't put it this way, I've documented the problem. And they knew without fail, if they came and said, I solved the problem, the very first words out of my mouth would be, Did you document the problem? That would be having the mind of Wayne. In the same way, understanding the mind of Christ makes us different. Makes us respond differently. So let's consider some of the things that help us to trust and know the Master. First of all, I'm assuming that we understand that by knowing the Master, by trusting the Master, we are believers. Therefore, He has given us His mind. Okay? We have that as a gift. His spirit indwells us. We can think like him. I can read these scriptures and they make sense to me. Whereas if I was outside of Christ, this would just be words. That without the spirit's involvement would be meaningless. So here are some things to think about. Our commander is unlike any others that we might follow. Life is guaranteed by him. His mind was focused on an eternal plan that was established before the ages. His mind was focused on something bigger than his disciples were focused on. And that's very evident. They thought he was going to destroy Rome. And that seems like a big task. All right, That that looks like a big job to, to get done. But that wasn't in his mind at all. He was thinking about going to the cross to save us. To restore our relationship with the Father. In John six twenty nine, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe on the one who He has sent. So it starts in the mind, belief. I accept the truth that God has given me. John six forty seven Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So he knows us, and he has made himself known to us that we can believe in him and trust in him. But it goes further than that. He knows what it's like to be challenged by the enemy. He's been in my shoes. Not these literal ones. But figuratively, he knows what it's like to live in this world. Um, I'm going to use a couple of Navy illustrations this morning because there are some parallels here. And I was in the Navy. So, you know, I, I have memories from a long time ago when I was in the Navy. There were a lot of officers that I respected. And it was a command to respect and obey the officers. Okay? But there were certain officers that I just had. You know, I respected the captain. I respected the XO. I respected my department head. Those guys were all great. Okay? Now I had issues with them. But, you know, they were wearing the uniform. I was below them. Yes, sir. Obey. But there was one officer on our ship who was different than everybody else. The reason he was different was before he was a lieutenant of the engineering department, he was an enlisted man. He knew what it was like to walk in the shoes of the normal sailor. And so when he gave a command, when he did a fire drill, he knew we needed to really be urgent about getting the hoses, getting to our stations, putting this fire out, working together as a team. Now had the captain said there's a fire drill and we're going to have a fire drill we would have cooperated okay we would have done what the captain wanted but i can tell you that when the lieutenant said it it was like yes sir we're going to follow you you've been in our footsteps you know that you're not taking us into a fire ill equipped because you know how to fight this fire you've been there that is the way it is with jesus jesus has been there he knows what it's like To endure what we endure. And we should be encouraged by that. He's also unlike others in his unmatched power and authority. I'm not going to read the entire passage, but in Revelation 19, it talks about him seated on a white horse, and he's leading the armies of heaven, um, and he's going to strike down the nations. Our commander is unlike all other commanders because he's ultimately fully in control. And when your world looks like it's out of control, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, all things are going to be accomplished that God has deemed eternal. That need to be accomplished. So rejoice in that. Take comfort in that. That should be our minds. In Philippians 2, our passage this morning, where Paul says, be of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Have this mind among yourselves okay what is his mind let's remind ourselves Paul, jesus said to his disciples here's what my mind is i've come to seek and to save lost sheep that was his mission that was his mind so i have to ask myself when these thoughts come to my mind do i have the mind of christ Oh, eternal perspective regarding this conversation that I'm mulling over in my head about, you know, what I need to get Cindy straight on, not that she needs to be straightened out on anything. I don't want you to get the wrong idea, but you get the idea, right? Am I thinking eternally? Am I thinking about things that really matter for the long haul as I have these thoughts, or should I be taking those captive and thinking differently? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he cannot understand them. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So summary for point number one. To have the mind of Christ means that I have a focus and a mission to seek and to save the lost. Everywhere I am. To have the mind of Christ says Capture that thought. Is this aligned with the mind of Christ? Does this hold true to what his word says? And is this according to his goal, which is to seek and save the lost? Number two, listening to the master and preparing the mind. There are several ways to do this, to cultivate the mind of Christ. How did the people that work for me cultivate the mind of Wayne? Well, they listened to what I said and they read what I wrote. So if I sent them an email and they didn't respond, I would go to them and say, here's what I said. Are you, are you hearing what I said? <laughs> are you going to respond to what I said? So we need to listen to the Master. We need to know the Scriptures. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you have to know what the truth is, which means you have to go to His Word. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You want freedom in your mind from the evil thoughts? Know the truth. And then weigh what your thoughts are against God's truth. Hold on to what we've already attained. Press on towards perfection. Philippians 3, 12-16. Paul says something very interesting. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. In other words, He's saying, listen, my mind is not like Christ's yet, but I want that. I want to know what He says and I want that to be my thinking. I'm going to press on. And He's the same guy that said, who's going to rescue me from my current way of thinking but he knew it was in Christ that it was possible and we're supposed to appreciate and thank God for the sound mind that he has given us he has given you a sound mind whether or not you foster that and cultivate that may be up for question I couldn't help as I thought about being thankful for a sound mind to think at least a little bit about Cindy's mom Charlotte is a dear lady she loves the Lord she served Him for many years. But her mind can't remember something from less than five minutes ago. Time after time after time. God not only has given you the ability to remember things for the long term, long term memory and short term, but He has given you a new mind. A mind that can become more like Christ's, And we need to take advantage of of that. Focus on God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. A biblical worldview of life. Romans 12.2 And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means that every day I need to be renewing, refreshing my mind. Restoring my mind with God's truth. Remember the ransom that was be- That was paid and prepare your minds for action. How do we do that? In 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 13, it says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's like, okay, today is important, but I'm setting my hope on Jesus and the final fulfillment of His Word because His Word is true. And he will accomplish his word when it comes to everything. And it goes on further in 1 Peter, and it says, And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to everyone's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing, again, knowing that you were ransomed. So it's a, again, it's about what we know and what we believe and how we trust God and finally think about your thoughts. <laughs> now, that sounds funny but it's really very practical. I need to think about what I'm thinking. That requires a certain amount of energy and thoughtfulness. <laughs> I realize that's kind of a circular logic there but I need to think am I thinking correctly? Because sometimes I'm not thinking correctly. Are you sometimes not thinking correctly? I would venture to guess, if you're anything like me, that there are times when you're not thinking correctly as well. So here's how we can uh, help ourselves Memorize Philippians 4 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. So if it's true, okay, capture that thought. Was that true? Whatever is honorable. Okay, let's capture that thought. Was that honorable? If not, I need to eliminate that thinking and have the mind of Christ. Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is the conversation I'm having in my head lovely? Is it Christ-centered? Is it Christ-like? Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Have you ever heard a song and you can't get the song out of your head? Oh, that happens to me. Sometimes it's the song I heard before I went to bed, and I'm not even sure what I was listening to. And I wake up and that song is just running and running and running. You know what I have to do sometimes? I have to start to sing in my head, a different song. Because it'll drive me absolutely crazy until I purge that song from my mind. I need to capture my thoughts and compare them with what God says. And Paul ends that by saying, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So here's summary for this. I need to view life and my thinking from this perspective. What does God think and say about this? What does God think and say about this? Am I listening to Him through His Word, through others in the body of Christ? What does He say? The third one. Family time, worshiping and serving with others. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, But this is a very important aspect of this. To have the mind of Christ, I need to associate with the body of Christ. I need to spend time fellowshipping with, serving with, praying with. Hence, pastor's encouragement for us corporately to pray, I think that's something the the modern church has lost. And the early church didn't lose it. They saw the value in it. Jesus saw the value in it. And I think we need to get back in alignment with the mind of Christ when it comes to prayer. So I want to encourage you in that. We are to stir one another. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another with love and good works. You know how that's possible? That's when we're together. We might be able to do it on Facebook, but it's so much more effective when we're together, I believe. We should be teaching and admonishing, that is cautioning and warning with God's wisdom. And we should be singing and we should be thankful. Let the Word of, God, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. When does that happen? When we're together. That's how that happens. And that's how we develop the mind of Christ. Confessing sins to one another. Confessing and praying. One of the things I appreciate about one of the ladies that came to the prayer time and has come to the prayer time was when we asked for prayer requests, she asked for something that was in her mind that she wanted Christ to change. Do we have that relationship in the body? We, We talk a lot about requests where it's, you know, the things that are physical and the financial and the other things that are external. But we should really be praying for one another. The, the Scripture says that we're supposed to confess our sins one to the other and pray for one another. That's hard to do. It's hard to be honest about what's in mine's, Wayne's mind, what needs to be prayed about. We need to be telling the next generation about God's mighty works. Psalm 145.4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another. We are to live in harmony. We are encouraged to have one voice in Romans 15, 4-6. So, harmony does not happen in a solo. Now, there may be some singers that can do harmony with one voice. I've not met them. But when the team was up here, you could hear harmony. And that was possible because they were together. And the only way to fulfill that command is if we are together with one voice. We are to care about and for the needs of others. This is serving others. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, two. We are to encourage and build up. Do you see a common theme here? <laughs> These all require that we're together. This, this means we have to spend time together. You're part of a puzzle. You're part of the body of Christ. The ear cannot function by itself. If it's not connected to the head, it needs to be connected to the body. The hand cannot function by itself. You take my hand and remove it from the body, it's no longer of any help to the rest of the body, and it's no longer connected to the head. So being part of the body means being part of the head as well. And we are to exhort one another, and I, I smiled when I heard this, or saw this in the Scripture, Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Which means that maybe we're not corporately all together every day of the week. Maybe we should be, although that, you know, I, I could call that into question. But I think we need to be together frequently. But with the believers that you are with, we need to exhort one another daily. I need exhortations from the people that I spend time with. And they need exhortations as well. So we need to exhort one another. So summary, the teacher wants us to teach. Should we be terribly surprised that the mind of Christ is to teach others? And therefore, we are to be teachers? It shouldn't be a surprise to us. And that's how we cultivate the mind of Christ. Within the body of Christ. Finally, conversations with the master. We've talked about trusting and knowing the master, listening to the shepherd, preparing our minds with God's word, worshiping and serving with other believers, but this one is probably the toughest one. So I want to give you an illustration. When I was in the Navy, I was on board the USS Bagley. USS Bagley was a destroyer escort. When the Russians upgraded their destroyers to fast frigates, it got changed to a fast frigate. It still was the same ship, but it made it sound more powerful. Flying on the yard arm, and you can't see the flags. There were four flags. Each flag that we flew had a meaning. It was either a number or a letter or some other significant meaning. The four flags that our ship always flew were N-U-L-Q. And no other ship had those letters. We were unique in that regard. So when another ship wanted to talk to us visually, first of all, they could look through their binoculars and see, ah, that's the USS Bagley, N-U-L-Q. So now we can communicate with N-L-U-Q. The admiral, who was on a different ship, a bigger ship, admirals don't go on little ships typically, he was on a bigger ship, he would send us messages. He would say, this is my will concerning you on the USS Bagley, you will do the following. And our captain had basically one choice, other than court martial it was obey the admiral. So at the other ship, the signalman, and you can flip to the signalman slide. So there's me, a younger version of me, okay? And I knew how to send flashing light. So the signalman on the admiral ship would send us a message, and he would start by saying NULQ, NULQ, NULQ. Are you there? And somebody on the signal bridge better be watching the admiral ship and listening with eager anticipation, in t- anticipation for what the admiral had to say. Heaven forbid that the signalman on duty didn't listen to what the master was saying. And as soon as you understood that the admiral was talking to you, you would flash at him. You would say, admiral, I'm listening. And then the admiral would start to send you a message with Morse code, with flashing light. And after every word, whoops, you would do this. You see that? Now, that doesn't sound like much of a message to you, except that to the admiral that meant, I understood what you said. I get it. And if for some reason I didn't get it, I wouldn't flash. And the signalman on the other ship would send it again until I said, I got it. I'm aligned with you now. I want to do what the admiral wants us to do. I could also send a message back to the admiral. And if we were in distress, I could do this. Whoops. know what I just said SOS I just said we need help we're in trouble things are not going well and the same is true with our master this is a two-way communication he has communicated to us and we need to acknowledge yes what you've said we will do we hear you we've got it but there also needs to be an acknowledgement back flash I got it flash I got it I'm talking back to you not talking back in a disrespectful way I'm responding to you. And then, having communication with the Admiral, with the the Shepherd. Here's the communication that we should have with the Master. We need to ask God to forgive us and to deliver us from our sinful thinking and and our desires. We fall short. And although He has given us a new mind, our mind is yet not fully like the mind of Christ. We need to cast our anxieties on Him. He cares for us. We need to accept His plan for our lives. Here's what Peter says. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting some of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. No. Casting most of your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Did somebody say no? No. Good for you. Cast all your cares. You know how great that is? How marvelous that is? There isn't a single care that you have that He doesn't want to shoulder, that He doesn't want to hear about. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Make your requests known to God. Philippians 4 says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Trust in Jesus. Ask for trust through His name. God says, you know, (laughs) I'm impressed with the the individual that came to Jesus and said, Lord, I have faith, but I, I know I don't have enough for you to respond. Give me the faith. Change my mind to trust You. Change my mind to accept Your Word. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in Me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in My name, this I will do. We need to remember though, we need to understand what His will is. And many times, what we're asking is contrary to His will. We are to ask according to His will. That means we will have a like mind like His. So summary. Talk to God with the mind of Christ, equipped with the Word of Christ, encouraged by and serving with the body of Christ. That's key to having the mind of Christ. To know Jesus. To have the mind of Jesus. To know what's important to Him. To seek and save the lost. To listen to Jesus. To read His Word. To appreciate what He's trying to say to me. To spend time with other believers who help me in that process of becoming more like Christ and serving together like Christ serves. And finally, talking to Him. In other words, when he says something to you, do one of these. Say, I got that. Lord, I'm, I'm aligned with what you're saying. I want to do what you say. I will obey. So, we are to know. We are to listen. We are to be a church. We are to pray. And the questions I need to ask myself are Is my my mind aligned with His? Do I really care about the lost? Is that what's central in my mind? Where does God's Word fit in my thinking? Do I capture the thoughts as they come through my head? Or do I just let whatever nonsense run around in my head run around in my head? Do I have the teacher's mind? Do I want to encourage and exhort and help and serve and love others? And am I talking to God with the mind of Christ, with His focus in view? We're going to sing Knowing You in just a few minutes here and the worship team can come up here. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. We should strive to have the mind of Christ. Be thankful that he's given you a mind that's new, now cultivated for his glory. Let's sing.